This is the Early Link Podcast. I'm Rafael Otto. I am here today with one of our guest writers, Nikki Reading, and uh, we had a chance to visit John Wedden Elementary in the Gladstone School District recently to learn more about how the district and the school is working on uh, ACES. Can you tell us a little bit about what they're doing at John Wetton and in, and in Gladstone in general, Nikki? Yeah, so ACES stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And this is something that came out of a Kaiser Permanente study in the 90s, where they looked at 17,000 participants. And they came up with nine factors that um, range from physical, sexual, and emotional abuse to violence in the home and substance abuse. And what they found is that ACES are very common, but that children with high ACEs or a high number of those adverse childhood experiences, there are long-term health effects that come with that. And those health effects are even if you account for dietary, for drinking, for smoking, and other high-risk behaviors, that truly having adverse childhood experiences affects your health long-term. So some pediatricians and some schools are starting to work on how they can help change the trajectory for those children, how they can help to prevent those long-term health effects. Uh, Why did Gladstone choose to uh, start addressing this? What was behind that? The superintendent at Gladstone, Bob Stewart, uh, he was on the uh, healthcare board for a large Medicaid provider in Oregon. And the CEO had told him, Bob, you need to pay attention to ACEs. You need to pay attention to ACEs. And then finally, they were having a visiting speaker, one of the somebody who worked on the landmark study. And so he offered some spots at the speaking event to Bob Stewart and some of the staff members. So they went for the day-long event. And he said at the end of it, they were floored by um, just how predictive these ACEs can be, and also a little bit overwhelmed about what they might do. But what they knew is that the students in Gladstone School District probably had high ACEs scores. Again, ACEs are very common, and that those might be preventing the students from being able to show up at school and be fully present to learn. So they knew that they needed to do something. They just weren't sure at first what exactly they needed to do. And what does that look like today? What's happening if we think about what's happening at John Wetton Elementary? Uh, and, and maybe talk about some of the things they've tried over the years. Yep. So they have been working on this for about six years. And uh, and their first approach was that they just they were trying to just address the students who had high ACEs. And that didn't work. And so they have changed their approach over the years. And what they do now, the basis of it is what they call a culture of care. So that's a set of ex- expectations that everyone, staff, student, are treated and treating each other with respect and kindness. So they have a a really well-defined culture around caring for each other. They also have a, every class is required to have a morning meeting that's non-academic. And in some of those meetings, they're actually talking to children about brain development and the areas of their brain and emotional regulation, and then teaching them skills for identifying which emotions they're experiencing and um, tools and skills for, for regulating their emotions rather than letting their emotions take control. And then this year, they've also, they've done a few things, um, including they transformed an entire classroom uh, so that some of the students who are experiencing uh, behavioral issues in the classroom are each day they come and they do 15 minutes where they're really taught how to identify emotions and then they think through what skills and tactics they might use to help get them back to the, the zone where they can learn and fully participate in class. 
Be sure to read the full story on the CI website. Uh, Nikki, great to have you here today. Thank you so much. When we visited John Wetton Elementary, we learned that classrooms offer students calming corners where they can take time and space to work on emotional regulation. We also visited the new classroom dedicated to helping students understand their zones of regulation or emotional states and spoke with staff from the school and district. Inside the classroom, dimly lit with the glow of an aquarium and filled with meditative sounds of bubbling water and music, we observed one student explore the room and use different stations to reset his emotional state. When he checked into the room, he was in the blue zone, indicating he was sad and tired. When he left, he had returned to the green zone, thanks mainly to tools in the fidgets and manipulative station. Teacher Erica Nelson explained how kids begin using the room. When they first come into the room and they're first learning about the room, it takes seven days because it takes a day each day to do a station. And after seven days, then they're able to be in the room with somebody because, like you saw, he can do the whole room independently until he comes to my table. And so right now we have at most two students, and they're staggered. So one will come in, get about halfway through. The next one will come in, and so then one meets with me at the table. They exit, and the next one comes and joins my table. So at this point, we're up to two in the room at a time. She also described the activities available to the students for calming and regulation. So when they walk in, they follow a routine where they come here. They sit down, and they're taught the zones of regulation first off in their classroom. So they have a basic understanding. They know um, about the zones, about the feelings, and about the colors. And so when they come in, they check in. They say how they're feeling and what zone they're in. So the first seven days, I'm sitting here with them, and they're practicing those sentence starters of, I am feeling, I am feeling this. Um, and it kind of gets that language down for them to learn how to say how they're feeling in a certain zone. So once they check in and they identify how they're feeling, they come and they wash their hands, since there's lots of things that they're touching around here. And once they wash their hands, they walk over to the sensory path. Um, this is a way to help kind of build body awareness, to kind of get that sensory feeling of jumping and pushing against a wall, different body movements. And so once they go through the sensory path, they end with a balloon breath. This is also taught in the classrooms. They come into this room knowing a balloon breath knowing that once they do something a little bit active, we can take a balloon breath to help calm our body back down. All right, and after the sensory path, they come on over and they check into a station. And so the first seven days, they're taught one station per day. It's very explicitly taught. I teach it, I teach every single thing in there, how to use it. Everything in here is a tool, not a toy. And so that's what everything is called in here, what calming tool, what calming activity. And so you have seven calming activities here, stations. And it's all sensory based, so using all your different senses. So you have the sensory table, the fidgets and manipulatives, soft things, hard things, just different senses that you can touch. And then you have an art station, which is a way to express emotions. And the light table in the fish tank is more that visual experience and calming. And so you're able to look at the light, listen to the bubbles, and kind of get that visual sense from those two activities. The dark space is dark and kind of gives that sense of being in it somewhere dark, but it's not confining. And the last one is the couch in the rocking chair. And that's actually the only station that you're allowed if I'm available to ask me to come join you. And we're able to sit there and just chat or sit there and read a book. And that's just a way to build rapport. Some students find it just calming to talk to an adult or read a book. Principal Wendy Wilson explained how the school set up professional learning communities to explore topics and strategies for addressing ACEs, which included building routines, relationships, and opportunities for regulation. 
we had a teacher from each grade level, and they met with me and our consultant, Rick Robinson, and we um, really honed in on routines and relationships and regulation and what that looks like and, and how do we actually do that in a school setting. So then those PLC leaders, a um, little shaky in the knees to start, and we really supported them and, and um, gave them opportunity to ask a lot of questions. They would go back to their teams and we would support them and teach their teams then what that was like, and then they would go into their classrooms and practice it. And a piece that I had not mentioned, but that we also, um, Rick or me would go into a classroom, always with a teacher saying it was okay just to observe and provide feedback. How's that going? You got a kid that's really dysregulated. What are those strategies that you're trying? How can we support? And so really it just began to grow. And one of the reasons teachers really bought into it is they began to see it works. It's like, oh my gosh, here's a kid that's flying off the walls and now he's settling down or she's settling down. There must be something to this. And so word got out that we can do this. Hence our mantra is we can do hard things. And it's really true. Can you say more about why why it was important or why the model is important to train everybody who's involved. This isn't just about teachers and administrators, it's really everybody who works at the school. Because it truly does take a whole village to make this work. And if you've got, it's a way of thinking about kids. And so if you've got some folks that are thinking that way and others that don't know about it or not thinking that way, it just works against us. And so when you've got this, the mentality that we're all in this together and it's a team effort, we learn from one another and it's, it doesn't feel like it's somebody else's job to take care of it, it's all of our job. And so we're really careful about not saying, you know, here's an ace kid or here's a kid in special ed. No, these are our kids and we're all accountable for those kids. And so it really has been very much a team effort. And also the notion that we can get a lot of work done um, for every kid if we just all do it as opposed to just a few. What is the role of parents in all of this? How have they received this approach? It's interesting because I don't, I'm, I'm not out there saying ACEs, I'm not even talking about trauma, to be honest. My newsletters that go home, they'll see, see the words culture of care, and that's an environment that we create. We're a positive behavior school, teachers, everybody kind of knows that, um, but now we add this other layer on how we're sensitive to kids that have needs that are really maybe different than other kids, but that all kids can respond to the, the kind of the approaches that we use. And so parents, it's been newsletters, it's been a lot of just conversation and especially with the families that have kids that are really struggling and again we don't bring up the ACEs stuff we just bring up here's some interventions that we're using that we find really effective and it's been received wonderfully I, I haven't had any pushback even with this room they love it they'd actually like to stay in it themselves and so it's all been very very positive. Superintendent Bob Stewart talked about why he's motivated to address ACEs district-wide. Obviously the goal is to make every child successful and we have kids that just need more supports and this seemed like the right strategy to build off of our system of care that we have with kids and really that's the foundation is uh, that core culture that you're trying to build in a school and then what are the strategies when a child doesn't respond to that core culture. Can you say more about building that culture versus just finding a program and kind of plugging it into the school environment? Yeah we, we uh, We've been at this for a while, and we did initially start with a mental health model, and let's bring in mental health therapists to help us work with kids that um, need the most support. And what we found is that we were not getting uh, the results that we wanted, and that it needed to be more systemic. Uh, for a lot of school people, they know about positive behavior supports, or they know about response to intervention, which is a literacy program. And both of those programs have really solid core activities that you do with all kids before you ever get into the interventions that might, might eventually result in mental health therapy. I watched Erica's student leave the classroom. 
He was calm and happy, and perhaps most important to the educators at John Wetton, ready to learn. This is the Early Link Podcast. Episodes are available wherever you subscribe to podcasts and on our website at childinst.org.